This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome aboard, folks. We are here one more time with a very inventive, coalescent guy. I love that word, coalescent, where an individual's pulled together many, many different diverse ideas about a book called M-Braining, in which he puts all of our different brains together in one coalescent operational therapeutic modality and this is Bill Lee Emery down in Australia, joining us from Australia. Bill, thanks for coming on board, buddy. My pleasure. It's lovely to be here. So Bill is going to tell us about M-Braining in just a moment. But before we begin, we're going to talk a little word from the people who helped us get here. Core Brain Journal is indeed sponsored by Direct Health Access Laboratory. They are international leaders in molecular testing for mind science details. With over 3 million studies, they provide deep experience with the usefulness of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges, biomedical measures that directly affect brain function. Their innovative insights improve treatment priorities through a global service with a molecular focus. Connect your provider with a PDF on how and why these tests work for treatment failure at dhalab.com forward slash core. And here we've interviewed one of the thought leaders in this regard is Dr. Bill Walsh, and he's at corebrainjournal.com forward slash 115 if you want to listen to him. Core Brain Journal is also sponsored by the nonprofit Barry Robinson Center teams in Norfolk, Virginia, where they provide fresh options to address the complexity of child and adolescent treatment failure from behavior imbalances to substance abuse. They are available both nationally and internationally. Most interesting is their deep focus on data-driven biomedical advances that also measure specifics on what to do with treatment failures, even after multiple hospitalizations or extensive outpatient work. They are also very, very comprehensive. You can review their innovative programs at barryrobinson.org forward slash core, B-A-R-R-Y, robinson.org forward slash core. More information coming later in the program. So, Bill, again, thank you so much for joining us. And Bill is an expert in the multiple brain functions. In fact, M-Braining is a book which he was referring to in just a moment. Let's talk about these multiple brains that you're talking about. Introduce us to the concept because we all know a little bit about these things, but how do you bring it together? What's the concept about? Okay, so science has shown that we have three distinct intelligences or neural networks or, or brains, if you like. Neural network is probably the more the scientific term. So our, our head brain is called the cephalic brain, our heart is a cardiac brain, and the gut brain is the enteric brain. And this work was started by two researchers in Melbourne. I didn't actually write the book. I wish I had have done. Grant Susan and Marvin Oprah, the authors of this book. And how it all started, they would meet once a month in a Japanese restaurant in, in Melbourne. And they would, because they're both researchers, they're both, like I would read the Sunday comics, they would read scientific um, journals. <laughs> yeah. so really, they have the, the headspace for that. I'm more a practitioner of the work that they have done. And what they notice is that 
neuroscience is pretty much from the neck up. It's really engaged with the head brain, the cephalic brain. And so you have a group of scientists that are delving deeply into the neurology and the biology of the head brain. But you also have neurocardiologists, which are, for example, the Institute of HeartMath in California, the last 20 years, that have been doing massive research with the cardiac brain and the heart brain. And then you have the gastroenterologists, and a lot of research has come out in the last five, 10 years in particular about how important the gut biome, the bacteria in our belly, is to mental health, to emotional health, to physical health. It has so many repercussions. But all these different, if you like, modalities or, or fields of study were fairly separate. And what Grant and Marvin were realizing from their own research of these areas, how they actually combine together because we are, you know, we are one human being, we are one system, but we have these three major centers of intelligence. They also, because of their own particular interest in, in ancient wisdom, realize that as human beings, as a species, we have been referencing these three intelligences for 10,000 years or more. So all the ancient wisdom, wherever you want to go, they'll talk about three major centers. So what they started to, to realize is that once you start to put everything together and you can, when you look, for example, I'm a coach, I'm a trainer, and when I'm working with someone, when they're talking about a particular issue, if I'm just operating from my head brain perspective, I'll, that's all I'll notice. But if I start to notice how their heart's engaged or how their gut is engaged, all of a sudden, things are very, very different. So we are probably of a similar age, I would say, and I've been around personal development since the late 70s when I first started doing counselling and therapy work. And, you know, when you learn something, you cannot not see it anymore. For example, NLP has been around for 40 years now. And when I first learned NLP about 30 years ago, talking about visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learners, once I've learned that, I couldn't unlearn it. I would mm -hmm. see visual learners, auditory learners, kinesthetic learners. So what happens is once you learn something, you start to pick up, if you like, more parts of the jigsaw puzzle that were right there in front of you, but you didn't have the structure, the language, the framework to notice what's going on. And uh, briefly, I can just share a story of how I got into all please, of this. Please, please, that'd be interesting. How, how it became my fascination, if you like. Some years ago, I was, I was at a professional plateau. I'd done a lot of training, coaching, facilitation, corporate work. But I was, not bored isn't the right word, but I'd lost my, my spark, my fascination. It's almost, is this all I've got? Have I done all the bits that I'm going to be doing in my life? I belong to a men's singing group, an a cappella group, so I sing as well. And it's kind of like a singer having a certain, to put music out into the world and then, and then what? So mm -hmm. I was in this plateau and probably most people around me wouldn't have noticed, but close friends could sense that there was, I didn't have the same spark in my eyes that I had 10 years before. So my partner and I started doing Pilates, and I don't know if you've ever done Pilates or yoga or Tai Chi, yeah. but oh, yeah. in the very first lesson that we had with our Pilates instructor, she told us when someone is standing correctly, posturally, their heart is just slightly ahead of their head. So biologically, we are designed to live from our heart. And when you consider, and I'll talk about what we call the prime functions of the heart of why that is so important. So as I start to change my physical structure, by the exercise we're doing in Pilates, literally I opened my chest more. And as I opened my chest more, then I became literally more connected to what my heart was wanting me to do. 
That's very interesting. Pardon me for interrupting. I just was yeah, yeah. taken with that because it makes so much sense. You know, when you think about it, I mean, and it really stuck, stuck a nerve with me because basically have a certain anatomic connectedness by opening that part of your closed self. Yes. And when we get like, if you go through, when you go through high school and you get, you fall in love and, and you get hurt. And so what happens is you collapse your body in because your body is, is, you know, you shrug your shoulders around and you curve your body in to protect your heart from being wounded. So mm -hmm. our body will do whatever it can to protect the heart. The problem is it can do such a good job of protecting your heart, it stops us, it puts barriers around us so we don't experience more love if that's where we want to go. So what happened? So very briefly, I started doing Pilates, I started to change my physical structure. Literally, it changed my view of the world because now I was coming more connected from my heart and the head brain and the gut brain are there to actually serve the heart. So... I was listening to an online summit on EQ, Emotional Quotient, and one of the keynote speakers was a man called Marvin Oka. Now, Marvin Oka is originally from Hawaii, and I've known Marvin for probably 20, 28, nearly 30 years when he first came to Australia. I've done a lot of training with him. So I was familiar with the head brain because I used to teach accelerated learning back in the day, many, many decades ago. <laughs> yeah. So I was very familiar with this and creativity, mind mapping, color, et cetera, et cetera, music. And I knew about the heart brain because I'd been connected to some of the work of the Institute of Heart Math. And Marvin was talking about this other brain, the gut brain. I'm going, wow, I've never consciously recognized that we have an intelligence in our belly. And because I've known Marvin, and Marvin is always on not the cutting edge, but the bleeding edge, like it's so new <laughs> that, that it hurts. It's so yeah. sharp. Yeah. And so I knew whatever Marvin went, had been exploring, it's going to be some beautiful gems there. So I actually got on his website, which is mbraining.com, by the way. It's the international website, mbraining.com, standing for multiple braining. And I found the very next training that he was doing, which happened to be in Auckland, in New Zealand, which is where I was actually born. And the training was in the very next suburb from where I was born. So it was interesting oh coming God. back 60 years later to where I live. And I've done a lot of transformational work in the last 30, nearly 40 years, all kinds of different things. Probably we've explored many similar things. And there was some, so I was on a mission. I knew there was something that I hadn't quite gotten yet in all my years of discovery that hadn't, something I hadn't picked up. And when I was in the program, I had a, another major transformation. And part of that was connecting deep into the core of myself, which is in my gut brain or the enteric brain. And literally, it shifted my whole neurology, my whole way of being in the world. So when I came back to Australia and I started coaching, working with people, from a coaching perspective, once you understand we have three major intelligence, the head, heart, and the gut, when you help them all play together on the same page, magic happens. Like literally, magic happens. And I actually asked Marvin, so what's the juice of this work? And he said, it's to liberate the human spirit. I'm going, wow, okay. I mean, like, tell me what I do. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, it sounds a little uh, hooky, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, sign me up. I'm in this stuff. So as I explored more and more, I became more fascinated by how these three intelligences actually want to play together. So it's not as if they, they want to be enemies, but for a lot of people, I'll give you a very brief example. I was doing a talk at home about this model, and one woman came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I've just realized that my three brains despise each other. 
like not I'm mildly irritated by <laughs> or sometimes dislike, but despised. So you can imagine that your head brain intelligence is always arguing with the heart and doesn't like your gut brain and the heart doesn't trust the head and thinks the guts are what the less way. Well, how like, did she know that? Let me interrupt you for a second because that's my inquisitive thing on that right now. So she, after a talk, began to realize that. How would a person know that if they were being self-reflective? That's a really good question. And part of it, I guess, is I mentioned briefly before what we talk about prime functions. And the prime functions are the major tasks or if you like or roles of each intelligence. So if I could just explain those briefly and then I can yes, come please. back to Oh please. So the head brain, the cephalic brain, is to do with our cognitive perception. Now, five senses in particular, how we make sense of the world, how we see, how we perceive, how we cognitively perceive our world. One of the other functions of the head brain is always making meanings out of things. We are compulsed to feel like I'm obsessed with making meanings out. Something innocent can happen, but we will make some kind of meaning up, good or bad. That's me, buddy. <laughs> You're all of us. That's all of us. You know, we see someone in the street that we know they ignore us for some reason, and all of a sudden our head brains come up with some mm. kind of meaning. Don't they like me? What's wrong with me? Yeah. And we can crank it up and make it bigger and bigger. Like, so we've got yeah. World War III going on inside of our head over something totally innocent. So we make meanings, but we also add stories to the meanings. Unfortunately, most of the stories we make up in our head are hallucinations. They're not real. They're not based on reality. They're based on our assumptions about what somebody else is thinking, what they think about us or what they said, whatever. And so the head brain... It's a beautiful, creative intelligence. It's like if you look around our world, pretty much everything we see has had some input by someone's creativity from their head. The problem is a head brain, it's kind of like going on any search engine. You go on your favorite search and you can go anywhere in the world. Your head brain can literally go anywhere in the universe. That's the upside. The downside is it can go anywhere in the universe. <laughs> If our head brain is not directionalized by our heart, this is how, if I want to make myself nervous, if I want to create anxiety, what I've got to do is get my head brain to go to some crazy place, pretend that it's real, that will influence what happens inside my body, and then I'll act out from my hallucination of what I've made. So if we don't directionalize this, this, our head brain can get us into so much emotional and mental strife. So true. You're now you're messing with my making a living. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the work that you do, you'll never be out of work. <laughs> so that then I could see what you're saying because that that does happen all the time. That's a human condition, really. Yes, it is. And part of mastery of life is of how we directionalize and take charge of where our head brain goes and what we think about and the quality of our thinking because that will influence everything part of our life. So that's the head brain. Then we come to the heart, and the heart brain is our emotional center. It's how we, when we connect to people, you know, we can connect with ideas from our head, but the emotional connector is from our heart. And it's within our heart that we hold our core values, the things that are deeply, deeply important to us. You know, when you know, the world is pretty much full of strife at the moment, when something happens to us or people close to us, often we go back to, you know, we thought this meeting was so important, that report was so important, but when it comes down to it, it's our family, you know, the things that are deep or the things, the causes or the purpose in our life. Everything else kind of filters away when you bear it down to what's deeply, 
deeply important to us, and that is in our heart. And when people are talking about passion or if they're talking about what they're deeply involved in, notice where they put their hands. When people are connected to their heart and to their passion, they will tend to put their hand around their chest, around their heart. And so, interesting enough, in traditional Chinese medicine, just to flip back into ancient wisdom, because this has been going on for a long, long time, they call the head brain the governor. It's like the organizer. But they call the heart brain the emperor or the empress. So, if you like, they're all equal. I like to imagine the three intelligences to be like three legs of a stool. Yes. So, the three is the first stable unit in the universe. In mass, in physics, in biology, it is the first stable unit. So our head and our heart and our gut are designed to work together. And the heart leads. Let me interrupt again because it was just a language thing, but I am curious about what, what was the name of the head? So the, the head brain is the governor. Governor. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Governor and the, then the emperor and the empress. Yeah, and the empress, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... When we connect deeply to the deeper yearnings of our heart and that then inspires and directionalizes our head brain, then a head brain can do useful work for us. Gotcha. Yep. So then we come down to the gut brain. In traditional Chinese medicine, they call the gut brain the general. It is in charge of security. Like if you've done, any of your listeners have done things like qigong or tai chi, martial arts. When we start our practice, we start by putting hands on our on down to which is just below our belly button and breathing deeply. So when you get the, the base core connected to the earth, then the heart and the head can operate effectively. But if we're not grounded and we're just floating around in, in the ethers and our, you know, our head brain, whatever, that's all really nice, but where's the depth to it? So the gut brain is all about three things. The first one is our, our deep sense of self. Now, if you go back into how from the beginning of conception, right in the womb, the first neural network that's laid down is the enteric brain or the gut brain. It starts from the mouth and ends at the bottom. So this is the first network that's laid down in the womb. On top of this network then is laid the cardiac brain, the heart brain, and then finally the cephalic brain or the head brain. Now, the head brain is by by far the most complex, but it's not the first brain. The gut brain is actually our first intelligence that's laid down in the world. So this is about our core sense of self. When people refer to being authentic, notice they don't point to their ear. They don't point to their knee. When they're talking about being authentic, they will point literally to the core of their belly because this is what intuitively makes sense when we think about that. This is where we feel our deep sense of self. And so... The other thing is the gut brain is connected with boundaries about what we say yes to and what we say no to. So Mm -hmm. if you go back into early life on the planet, when one of the forms of life was basically something like a sea slug, which is basically like an enteric brain. It's got Mm -hmm. a tube, it's got a mouth, and it's got a bottom. So the mouth part, our smell and taste, is our first boundary. So indigenous cultures, if they come across a food they haven't, they don't know, they will smell it and they will taste it. So their gut brain will tell them, Yes or no, friend or foe, is this part of me or not? Do I take this on board myself? And when we do take something on board, literally, if you listen to the language, when we take something on board, we literally make it part of ourselves. This is where our core identity comes from. But it's also about protection. 80% of our, or even 90% of our immune system is in our belly. 
So this creates, you know, we have this chemical factory going on inside of our body. And when our belly is happy, when the microbes and the, and the bacteria are in a good balance, that will affect how we feel. It will affect how we think. If they're out of balance, then, you know, life tends to, excuse my language. But that's <laughs> oh, you broke my virgin ears on that one. <laughs> Never heard bad words like that before. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> but you know, you're you know, let me just mention this real quickly because you get a kick out of this. This guy that I interviewed, his name was Dr. Baker. I can't remember his first name right now, but he was two years ago. It was an early interview, but he was talking about he has a whole thing on metadarwinism and how that Darwin is uh, from his point of view and his colleagues, that that's very outdated thinking that really the microbiome is the evolution of humankind. Indeed. Their communication expertise. Yeah. And you would be interested in that interview because he's very enthusiastic about it and very, very bright and interesting guy. Sorry to interrupt you, but I thought you'd... Yeah, no, no, you're, you're quite right. And from an embryo perspective, that makes total sense because our, our bacteria, if you like, will create us. It will say, no, we're not having that stuff. We don't want that in here. So it will actually influence what we eat, what we don't eat. And the research that's coming out in the last five years is fascinating about the gut brain. One final thing of the, of the prime function of the gut, it is also our mobilizer. So, for example, it is one thing to have a warm and connected heart. It's great to have wonderful ideas. But until you get into action, so what? It's just another pipe dream. So the gut brain is the part of us that moves us forward into life. So mm. if we're not connected to our gut, then we'll hold back, we'll be hesitant. So the gut brain, you know, at the beginning, at the front of our belly is where we generally feel fear. And that's appropriate because we need an early warning system going out into the world. But courage, which is also a function of the gut brain, comes from the back of the belly. It comes from around the adrenals and the kidneys, which is really appropriate. It gives you a burst of energy. And the kidneys is also connected to our element of fear in Chinese medicine. So courage will only happen if there's some kind of doubt or fear. Otherwise, it's just called confidence. But the other thing is, it's when the heart, when the emperor or the empress says, this is worth fighting for, then your gut brain will produce the courage that you need to do something, even if it's really scary and terrifying, because you have a higher purpose, literally, in play here. Mm -hmm. So and you look at sometimes you'll see people in communities that are meek and mild, they don't say boo to a mouse, and all of a sudden someone steps on some one of their core values and this raging lion comes forward and says, you're not going to mess with me. Mm -hmm. And so you go, wow, where did that come from? It's because the gut brain got involved because the heart said, we cannot put up with this anymore. That is such an interesting summary. I mean, it really is fascinating. I haven't heard this before, and I, I know that a number of our listeners have not heard this before because it's so, it is coalescent. I mean, I was using that word in the beginning, but I was thinking about how it brings so many, and this is, you know, one of the things as you're talking, we use it out here quite often, you know, you're imploding on your gut. People, you know, yes. and people say, you know, they're stuck because their gut is, it's kind of sucked them into a maelstrom, you know, they're, they're, and this is where descent into maelstrom, the post story, you, know, you just keep going and it's, that's your gut taking you into a nowhere place, you know? Yeah. And, and, and if you listen no. to our land, there is so much, if you really have now have an understanding of head, heart, and gut brain, when someone is gutless or when they've got no backbone or someone is a gutsy person, they couldn't stand it any longer. It's really the language that we use will actually infer which intelligence we are being connected to or disconnected from. Isn't that you know, interesting? Yes. 
is disheartened. Well, that's saying that the disconnect from the heart, the language is saying it. If I don't have the heart for it, or my heart's not in it, or my head's spinning, our language actually pertains to the intelligence that we're referring to or connected to or disconnected from. That is very interesting. Now what we need to do is encourage someone to read all of Shakespeare with this perceptive. <laughs> <laughs> because he was such a master of, of language. He, had so, he was so inventive with the way it was working, you know, and so much of... What we talk about every day is so Shakespeare-oriented because he's, yes, he, had, he had the language thing down. So, But anyway, sorry to interrupt, but let's take a quick break here. I'm going to ask you a question, and we'll come back and hit it when we get back because this is a great summary. It's very stimulating, so interesting. One of the things I want to ask you when we get back, and we really are going to have to invite you back for more of this because this is, in a way, it's so paradoxical because everything you're talking about is so commonplace. And everybody that's listening is like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. But then the issue is, and this is what I want to ask you about, and this is the beginning of a longer conversation, I'm sure. When we come back after this break, I want to ask you, how does some of this apply in your experience in working with human beings who are stuck in some way or another? And this is going to be a long conversation from here on out because you're not going to be able to answer this in another 20, 30 minutes. But that's the question I'm going to ask you when we get back in just a moment, if you will, please. Thank you, Bill. We'll be back in just a moment, folks. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's D-H-A-L-A-B.com forward slash core. Well, welcome back, folks. And Bill, thank you so much for this terribly interesting conversation. And uh, we're looking forward, all of us, myself included, are looking forward to some of the thoughts you have about the application. You know, one of the things we at Core Brain Journal were really interested in is, okay, here's the science. And yes, we're touching on some of the science. I'm sure there's more in the Embraining book. But let's get down to the application because that's why all of us are here listening. It's what can we do about it? This is interesting. Now, what do we do next? Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Okay, so let me take something that's going to be generic, something that every single listener will be able to relate to, and that's this. So the core principle is that the decisions that we make in life, good or bad, will create the quality of our life. Another way of saying it is the quality of our life right now, your life, my life, everyone's listener's life is connected to the quality of the decisions that they made a year ago, five years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, however long that decision may be. The problem is that for many major decisions that we make, if we're not using all three intelligences, 
then we may rely on one or two, but not all three. Give me an example of this. Let's say from my training, from my background, from my, the culture that I grew up in, I relied all to do with my head brain. If I couldn't work it out with my head brain, it didn't exist. I had to be tangible. I had to, it was all very, very intellectual and very academic. Then I would trust my head brain to make major decisions. In business often, what happens is you have someone with a very creative idea and there can also be very gutsy people. In other words, they take action. The problem with this, I'll give an example of this in Australia. Uh, we have two major supermarket chains in Australia and they both have bought in like a hardware store. One is a homegrown one and the other one they imported from actually from America. The culture of these two hardware chains were very, very different. And the reason that the supermarkets bought these, these hardware chains in is to, for greater market share. So one supermarket was doing very, very well with their homegrown homeware chain. The other one said, let's compete. So it was very much a gut brain and ego based. I want to be as good as you. Mm -hmm. Very much head brain and gut. But totally, notice which brain is missing here. Yeah. <laughs> Just the heart. Basically. And the heart is connected to your client base, to your customers. But it was very much, let's compete, which is very ego and very gut brain because the gut brain is also about protection, about my ego, my status, my whatever it might be. And so the head brain and the gut brain of this particular organization went and bought a chain from America. It happened to be from America, be anywhere in the world. And it was a dismal failure. It cost them, the supermarket chain, get this, $1.2 billion. Wow, that's a big mistake. Oh, big mistake. The CEO lost his job, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Not surprising. But what they didn't understand was the culture of the homegrown one was very connected to the heart. They had yep, a absolutely. wide diversity of yeah. people, all ages, colors, races, whatever, and they're all passionate about homewares. The other one was much more about cost, but disconnected from the Australian culture. And it was a very expensive exercise. So when we make, like, I, I don't know about you, Chuck, but I've made some dumbass decisions. Like, Not me. I've never made a dumbass decision. <laughs> <laughs> I look back and go, wow, where was my, oh God, where was my head at? Where was I my head, that? yeah. No? I've asked myself, where was my heart? I can tell you that. Well, that's it. But I didn't know I, that's what I was, what was going on with me on that one? Indeed. And like, if I look back in some of my love relationships, when I've been disconnected from my heart and it just been my other brains, I've got what a disaster that has been. So I can track back in my life and think, you know, I decided this 20 years ago, 30 years ago, this is still having an effect in my life now, good or bad. But I've also made some very wise decisions. And one of the decisions I made many, many decades ago was about organic food about eating organic food. I also started to meditate in the late 70s. That was a major, major shift because I used to work in computers way back before that, very left brain, very head brain, disconnect from your heart. This is before Apple came along. It was just basically black and white computers. And when I started to meditate, everything changed. My whole life from there on changed. When I met my partner, my current partner, so just a little bit about my personal relationships, I would tend to have had short and lovely relations, you know, like three months, three years was like the maximum. I have these friends around me that would have long-term relations. I couldn't work out how they doing that. I could never get that. You couldn't understand it, yeah. 
Couldn't get it. But then 20 years ago, when I met my current partner, Julie, I'm going, all three brains were connected. I'm going, this is it. And that was 20 years ago. Longest relationship in my entire life, except for my one with myself. So here's the point. When you have to make a major decision, your head brain will have a perspective about it. And so will your heart. Your heart will be more the emotional ramifications, the connections to what's deeply important to us. Now, given that, I'll say something about the heart brain. The heart brain can be fickle. You know, think of high school years when you fall in and out of love you know, three times in a week. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you're fascinated and compulsed about someone, then the next day you go, well, who are you? So the heart brain can be fickle. But underneath the fickleness are the deeper yearnings of us as human beings, the things that are so deeply important to us that when we tap into them, they literally directionize what our head does and what our gut does. And so when you connect to what your heart truly deeply wants to contribute, to bring into the world that is deeply fulfilling and satisfying, everything changes. But the gut brain is our intuitive brain. It's our first intelligence that's laid down in the room. And it is finally connected into, is it safe or not safe? You know, you can, someone can come to you with a proposal to buy something, you know, maybe it's a car or a house. And on paper, it looks good. So your head brain's going, yep, tick, 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 tick. Your heart is saying, yes, I want this. But maybe there's something that your gut brain, your intuitive brain picks up that's not quite right. You cannot explain it logically, nor even from your heart, but your gut brain goes, you know, there's something not quite right here. And I don't know about you, but when I've listened to my intuition, I've been so, so grateful that I have. And when I have it, I just go, duh, Bill, where on earth were you? Like, gosh, you know, I've been in some third world countries and my gut brain saying, don't go down that street and nothing's happened. Or sometimes I've been walking past the shop and my gut brain say, go into the shop and go, oh, what for? I'll go in and I'll meet someone that that meeting has defined a whole train of my life that I would not have had unless I listened to that fine, subtle prompting from my gut. So here's the thing. When you have to make a decision, it can be small or, or even a major decision, we are best served by asking all three intelligences their particular perspective about the decision we're about to make. And the other thing that we do in embracing is going back to the research that the Institute of Heart Math have done. Now, very briefly, some of your listeners will be very well aware of the autonomic nervous system. So mm-hmm. the autonomic nervous system is the, the intelligence inside of us that keeps our heart beating, our lungs working, all the different things that we cannot even think about. But there are two parts of this. One is the sympathetic mode and the other one is the parasympathetic mode. Sympathetic mode, if you think when someone is stressed, they get into sympathetic mode. Might be very busy, headlines going, this is going on, la 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 la, nodding and the kids are etc. and it gets more and more kind of crazy. So the more sympathetic we get, it's really hard to make wise decisions because we're not in the right place. The opposite side is the parasympathetic mode. This is when we go into more rest and recovery. But if you keep on getting more and more parasympathetic, you can become apathetic. You can become depressed. And further down, you can become comatose. So on either ends of the spectrum aren't very useful for making wise decisions. We are best making decisions when our autonomic nervous system is in a balanced place. We use breathing from yoga techniques to balance the autonomic nervous system. So what we do in my coaching practice, when someone comes in, they're going to make a major decision about something. I will teach them a very simple belly breathing exercise to breathe deeply into their belly, which will calm their nervous system so they can get into the zone where they've got easy access to head, heart or gut. 
I will then, through language, gently inquire the head brain, so what's your perspective about this? The same with the heart, the same with the belly. Because when we're in either sympathetic or parasympathetic mode, we don't have the same level of connection to these three intelligences. It's just not, we're going to the wrong room, if you like, we're in the wrong frequency. So through the breathing technique, people suddenly become aware of, ah, I'd never considered that, but it was there because there was an opening of the door to that state of consciousness. So we use breathing techniques, very from yoga practice, to help balance the autonomic nervous system so we've got easier access to head, heart, gut. Once you've got the information, the perspective of head, heart, or gut, then you can make a considered, a fully considered choice. Do we do this or do we do that? Now, that is so interesting. Now, let me ask you this question. So there are two questions that come up. The temporal one I'll ask you about in just a moment because you did say it, but I want to make sure we're explicit about it. But let's talk about the breathing piece. Do you have a specific period of time that you recommend that? How does a person able to evaluate themselves at having reached a place of relatively sympathetic balance? So that would yeah. be the first question. The next question yeah. is, I'll just tell you in advance, it's really the temporality of the situation. It sounds like once you're there, do you take it in that temporal head, heart, gut, or do you take it in another uh, temporal sequence? Thank you. Beautiful question, both of them. So let me deal with the first one. The Institute of Heart Math have got this little gadget called an M-Wave Pro, M-Wave machine. Basically measures the heart rate variability. And you can just go to the Institute of Heart Math, you can find the products that they've got there. So I, I remember a client of mine, he was a CEO of an organization, very, very head brain. He's an engineer. His you know, head brain was very connected. But he had a young family. And he was, he would get really stressed around board meetings because literally someone was out to attack him. So when he went to a board meeting, he'd be in high sympathetic mode, high stress mode, hard to make decisions or think clearly if you're in high stress mode. So I plugged him into this little gadget and I got him to think about a board meeting and you could see by the graph of how agitated he was. And I got him to see it. So he could see he had a graphic visual representation of what was actually happening inside of his body. I then said, okay, so let's do some breathing techniques to show you how you can change it. So I got him to literally put his hands on his belly. The breathing process that we use is you breathe in for approximately six seconds and out for six seconds. So there's no pause. It's like the sea coming in and the sea going out. It's a gentle breathing in and a breathing out. And what they found is that this is pretty much optimal to balance the autonomic nervous system. Now, for some people, if it's five seconds, four seconds, seven seconds, doesn't matter as long as the breath in and the breath out are pretty much the same. Gotcha. Because when you breathe in, you trigger sympathetic mode. When you breathe out, you trigger parasympathetic mode. So our body is always adjusting. So we want to make sure that we're breathing in and out at the same rate. So I plugged him up to this machine. I got him to do some belly breathing and close his eyes. And lo and behold, he went from being in sympathetic mode into a much more relaxed. And you could see by the graph, it was a much more even flow. And then I got him to open his eyes so he could see that his breathing made a difference to his consciousness. Because as an ex-engineer, if you couldn't see it, poke it, that it yeah. Didn't, yeah. didn't exist. Yep. So I had to give him some tangible evidence that he could go, aha, this thing, this breathing stuff that you're teaching me actually makes a difference to my consciousness. So once he was able to do that, the sequence that we actually take people through 
in general. We call it the foundational sequence, and this really came... So when Grant and Marvin were doing their work, they looked at neuroscience, they looked at all kinds of scientific papers, they looked at ancient wisdom, they looked at... They had action groups, task groups, saying, we think this works, go play with it, come back. So they did a lot of behavioral modeling to find out what was actually going on here. So it wasn't just one focus of exploration. It was many, many different focuses. And what they found is that when you connected people first to their heart intelligence, then you move up into the head brain, then you move down into your heart, then down to the gut, and then back up into the heart. So it's actually it's a figure eight. You start at the heart. So it's core values. So when I'm working with someone, literally I'll put, I get them to put their hand on their heart and feel their heartbeat. I'll get them to do the breathing so they're in a more relaxed uh, state. Then I'll ask them, what does your heart truly want about this? What is your heart deeply wanting to express or to bring to the table? And I'll let them be in silence for a while. And they can either say it out loud or, or just think it and then write it down. And their heart, something will just pop up. Because what we've done, we've said to the, the emperor or the empress, hey, here's your chance. What do you want to say? <laughs> Put them up yeah. on stage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What you got? What you got? Now, if some people are disconnected, let's say they've spent all their life in their head brain and they're not, they don't really know what their heart wants, this can be a difficult process. And you, you probably heard the phrase, the journey from the head to the heart is the longest and the loneliest journey we'll ever make. <laughs> and one of the most important. So it might take some training. I might need to spend some time with a person to literally feel the beat of their heart, get connected with their heart. It may take a few sessions before they can actually get a sense of what their heart wants. Once they do that, then I'll move up into their head brain. And you know, people, most people I meet don't need to have any more encouragement to be in the head brain. So then I'll ask their head, so what's your perspective about this? What, you know, what do you want to bring to the table? What's important from the head brain perspective? Now, the head brain is all about organizational thing, about logistics. It wants to know that we're organized about something. It wants to know that we've got the resources. Got the, so it's a very much an analytical, have we got all the stuff that we need to do this? So once I've done that, then I'll go down. So I start with the heart, go up to the head brain, and then down to the gut brain. Then I'll ask them to put their hands on their belly, breathe into their belly, and feel connected to this part of them. And as they get more connected, I'll ask their gut brain, so what's important to the gut about this? What is it that you're wanting to say yes or no to? Ask them to, to get a sense of, is their gut brain expanding when they think about this idea or contracting? Are they having a sense of moving forward or moving away from? And the gut brain doesn't think or speak like we do right here. It's more on, it might gurgle, it might contract, there might be a tightening, there might be a, a relaxing. So it doesn't have the same language that we, the head brain does. By the way, the gut brain will speak in dreams. One of the favorite ways the gut brain getting to our consciousness is through our dreams. You know, you've heard of uh, rapid eye movement in sleep, but there's actually, there's a period of time when our gut brain is going, okay, you ready, head brain, heart brain, cop this, and something will emerge from that. So. They all have different ways of expressing themselves and they, each perspective is precious. If you diminish one, you diminish all. So you have to listen to them all and then integrate them in some way. Indeed. Yeah. And the other thing, I'm a fan of Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And yep. when he talks win-win-win, so you really want to have a win-win-win. You want all three brains to be able to have the space to come to the table and put their perspective without judgment, without making right or wrong, but to have it on the table. Then we as a consciousness can go, okay, 
I get this, I get this, I get this. What's really important to me? What are the things I need to consider? So let's say, for example, you have to buy a car, a second-hand car. Yep, because you don't know where it's been. And your brain goes, yep, to kick the tires and I've checked the logbook. <laughs> and <laughs> the <heart>. price. <laughs> yep, your heart likes the color of the car, you know, whatever it might be, or the feel of it. And your gut brain's going, hmm, yeah, hmm. And I have a really good sense about this one. So if your gut brain is saying warning signs, then it may be simply, not that the car is wrong, but maybe you need to explore deeper. Maybe you need to look under the hood. Maybe you need to check out this. So the gut brain will just go, there's something not quite right here. Explore further. Don't say no immediately, but just explore further. You have a contract in front of you for a house. Your gut brain's going, I'm not feeling comfortable about this. Explore further. So what it really is, the gut brain, your gut brain is there to protect you and it'll do anything to protect your heart. Doesn't want the heart to get hurt anymore because it's been hurt enough, which is actually a conversation for, for another time because we can talk about relationships and how all these three. We're, we're going to have that conversation. That is oh, going to yeah. be terribly interesting. I mean, yeah. this is great stuff because when you think about it, I'm thinking about the enormous number of possible applications. You know, we were just talking about Barry Robinson Center. We've been working over there with them, and they're very advanced in the way they're thinking about things. And, and one of the things that that team over there wants to do is develop leadership skills with the kids who are coming through there. How many kids finish high school and know how to run a meeting? And then how to actually make a decision would certainly be part of that leadership skill. You know, and now that's a very cognitive answer real quickly, of course. Yeah. But on the other hand, by just introducing these other concepts, it is going to be more of a comprehensive decision, a more inclusive decision. Then something in your head or just your heart, whatever, and you really start to balance all of them, yeah. In fact, leadership is one of the key areas where embraining can add neuroscience into ancient wisdom to help expand the quality of decision-making. Now, if you look around politics around the world, from a head, heart, and gut brain perspective. You can look at certain things that are being done and go, wow, you know, they're operating out of true intelligence. They've missed out one, or they, they haven't considered this, or where's the heart in what they're doing here? It might make economic sense, but where's the heart in this? Look at some things that are done around the world, and I just, gosh. Well, we've oh, got it going on right here in the U.S. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> yep, yep. It's well, amazing. In Australia, we have our own challenges too. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting, you know. This is something, yeah, we need to, you know, slowly wind it up here. But this is, that was a great tease right there without an, it was not an intentional tease, of course. But I think it's something that we, we now have like a brief introduction. Yep. And then after we have an introduction, the level of interpersonal relationships is absolutely an important piece because that really broadens the application process, the everyday experience. You know, there's handling oneself. And then there's handling oneself in the context of the reality of the relationships we have. And, you know, it's, it's my opinion, and I'm, I'm not the first person to thought about it. You think about the realities that we have to deal with. We have close relationships that are intimate relationships. That's the one, of course, that's going to start with everybody. We have group relationships. And then what you were kind of talking about here is the relationships of what we actually do, sort of the reality of our lives and, and that are relatively absent relationships. So you have three different kinds pardon me, kinds of realities that are also relevant and they all have different contextual attributions that a person would then have to sort of, not sort of, but actually apropos of what you're talking about, actually come to an identity of what your humanity is doing in relationship with that specific reality. 
Indeed. So. And decision making is, is definitely one. My favorite application of this, if I can just add this, is working with entrepreneurs, in particular, what are called social entrepreneurs or heart based entrepreneurs, so that they can use all three intelligences in a much more powerful way. And that's how you use heart based, which means that the heart leads and the head and the gut follow. There's some people in the world, entrepreneurs in the world, that operate purely from head and gut with no real consideration of the emotional effect or the, or the relationship effect that we'll have in the world. So my focus is on heart-based entrepreneurs. But we actually have a two-day training purely on leadership and decision-making. within the Oh, that's very interesting. Well, I, give us the link for that as we wind up because that's the first time I've heard that concept. And I've been... Okay. Listen to these guys. I'm, I'm into leadership and I'm into decision-making, all this stuff. So it's really a real pleasure for me to listen to you and, and get expanded on this stuff. So tell us where that... that uh, well, if I can give you two websites. The Please. first one is mbraining.com. This is the international site. It's not my website. Uh, Grant Susan and Marvin Oakland put this website together. There was a list of interviews with experts from around the world on that. If... Um, I'm a coach and a master and a trainer and a master trainer. So people can do a four-day coach certification program in 30 countries around the world. I actually train trainers to train other people as a master trainer. So there's a lot of resources on there. By the way, the breathing technique that I talked about, if you go to the Embraining website, if you go to the resources tab, and if you scroll down, you'll see I think it's called Breathing Pacer. And basically, it's a chime that goes every six seconds. Oh. So you can play in the background, you can download it. And so when the oh. chime goes, that's the beginning of an in-breath or the beginning of an out-breath. Oh, that's There's great. A, yeah. There are so many resources on there. If you look up leadership, you'll see trainings around that. My personal site is evolveaustralia.com.au. So evolve as in we are evolving human beings. Yeah, yeah. We are not stuck. We are not a, you know, when people talk about their identity, we actually, identity is not true. We are dented team because we are a verb. We are literally so true. So we true. are walking verbs. Yeah. And you're sure you get this document. You understand this deeply. So my particular site, I have some resources that people can connect to. If people are want to get connect with me personally, they can do that through my email. It'll be on the website. But there is so much. The application of this are enormous. Oh, it is, and it's so interesting because it it takes us away so much of therapy quote unquote, yes. is, is just head. Yeah. You, know, there, there's, you, know, you, you do your head and you can get yourself all wrapped up in your head and go into brain spaghetti. And, yes. you, know, and you know, people come to a therapist for some information and they tend to externalize the process in a passive way. They tend to say, okay, I'm here. What can you do to help me? And what you're saying is, I'm going to work with you to actually help yourself because in this process, you will identify who you actually are in these multiple realities of your life and where you want to go with yourself. And, and, and it's not just your head, but also your body. Yeah, like I've yeah. been involved in a lot of body therapies. Let's say, get out of your head. That's where all the trouble is. Get into your body. Well, what I'm saying is have the mind, body, spirit all connected and let's work out how with all the jigsaw puzzle bits that we are as a human being of how we can make go forward, leading from the heart, because that's where the deepest yearnings of our heart, the things that make us truly satisfied and fulfilling, that's where it takes us. This has been an absolutely delightful conversation. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed it. I'm sorry we have to wind it up because we're, we're winding out of time here, but we're going to definitely have you back. And I think 
our mission the next time we meet would be the relationship issue. And we'll start with the intimate relationships, and then we'll have another one after that, with your permission, if you don't mind doing this, on uh, group relationships, because they're, they're really different things. And yes. a person has to be aware of that difference and just, so I'm, I'm going to be myself wherever I am. And it, it, I think it's pretty much impossible to do, because the realities are so different. Yeah, you can be pretty consistent, but the realities change a person in a certain respect, and there's an opportunity for uh, different growth in the two different experiences, so... And then, and you've actually opened up a loop into so many conversations and going, yes, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I can talk for days, Chuck. I, can well, talk. I love it. I love the way you talk, too. I love that accent. It's great. So, <laughs> well, listen, Bill, we're going to have you back. So, folks, this has been Bill Lee Emery from beautiful downtown Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what city you're in. Where are you? What city are you in, Bill? I'm on the Gold Coast, which is in Queensland. Oh, Queensland. Yeah, so that's beautiful. Which is on the eastern seaboard. Well, we're going to have you back, Bill. I can't tell you how much I've appreciated it. We're going to wind up now, and, and we'll have you back as soon as we can get you on. That'll be beautiful. I look forward to that. All my three brains do. <laughs> me, <laughs> me too. Now that I've found a few. <laughs> Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.